0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon.
1: Good morning. Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. A familiar story to many of us. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he was seeking to see Jesus by all accounts in the crowd, but he could not because he was too small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, for he was gone to, to be in the midst of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I, have, I give to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10.
0: Well, we will be in that Luke 19 passage this morning, and uh, yeah, just a reminder, I think Andrew said this at the very beginning, but if you tuned in a little late, we are uh, having the Lord's Supper this morning, and so if you're at home, we encourage you to participate with us and um, go get some crackers and some some juice of some kind, Uh, and if you're here in the church, we will, uh, hopefully you were offered one of these when you came in, but if we didn't catch you, um, we'll have an elder or 2 we'll make these available when we get to that part of the service, basically we'll share the Lord's Supper together at, uh, at, at the end of the sermon. It's kind of a conclusion to it this morning. Uh, also, I wanted, I think this was on the um, slides, but if anyone would like to pray, uh, we we've started this again on, on Communion Sundays. If you'd like to pray afterwards, if you'd like someone to pray with you, uh, my wife and I will be down here, maybe Pastor Andrew if he's available, and um, you're welcome to join us. I mean, and some of the, so basically, if you'd like to pray, come on down, and we'll, we'll get someone to pray with you uh, immediately following this service. <clears throat> Speaking of prayer, let's pray. Let's let's ask the Lord's help with this text. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the joy of uh, celebrating uh, salvation with baptism. Uh, In a little while, we'll celebrate uh, and remember our salvation, uh, what you did for our salvation, the cost and the love of our salvation on the cross. Uh, What a joy to be able to do that. And and wedged in here in between is a a lost sinner who comes to know Jesus and help us to identify this morning with Zacchaeus, to understand that he is is us, we are him, and to to really understand what this means for us in our own lives today, in our own world today. And so we ask your help, Holy Spirit, with this passage. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About a year ago... A Florida man, it was, it was early December 2020, a man in Florida decided to uh, take his boat out into the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, it was a beautiful day, the weather was gorgeous, perfect afternoon for a short sail. Uh, and so he went out a couple of miles from shore. Uh, unfortunately, he had a little bit of mechanical trouble while he was out there, and his engine started making a strange squealing sound. And so he, uh, he cut the engine, dropped the anchor, and, and began to try to tinker with the engine to, to fix it up. It took longer than he thought. It always does with that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and so it, before he knew it, it was dark. The night night fell. And uh, so he was still kind of working on it. It had become kind of a chore. And, and uh, he looked up and he saw how beautiful the stars were. And, and so he decided to take a little break. And so he lay down on the deck of his, his little boat. Uh, it was like bigger than a rowboat. It kind of, you know It had a deck. Uh, and so he, he lay back on the deck and was just kind of enjoying the stars and looking up at the heavens. Uh, he dozed off, and uh, when he woke up, he was horrified to see that his boat was filling with water. It was, it was filling up. Apparently that, uh, that mechanical problem was worse than he thought. And, and uh, he woke to the sound of water gushing into the cabin of his boat. Uh, he, he quickly scrambled, uh, managed to grab some seat cushions. He wasn't able to get to like the flares and stuff that he had, but he grabbed some seat cushions that would float. And it was a good thing he did, because in just a matter of a few minutes, the whole boat went under, uh, except for one part. Uh, there was this... Uh, actually I actually have a picture of it here from the news... Uh, That's him. Uh, His his boat went down, and he spent the next day and a half clinging to this last piece of wreckage, which just the buoyancy of the vessel, I guess, kept him up uh, out of the water. The picture, you say, how do you get a picture of it? Well, it's going to have a a happy ending, I promise. Uh, The picture was taken from a freighter. It was taken from a cargo ship uh, that happened to be passing by. You see, when he didn't come back, this all happened on a Friday, when he didn't come back Friday evening, uh, I think a family member reported him missing. And the Coast Guard kind of took over, and they, you know, they started their search. And, and, and it, the procedure when that kind of thing happens is they told all the other ships in the area be on the lookout for a missing boater. And uh, that's actually who found him. The Coast Guard didn't find him. He'd actually drifted like 85 miles out to sea, uh, they said. And, uh, and a, a freighter happened to be going by, saw him uh, in the distance, and picked him up. Uh, they they rescued him. And so what could have been a very tragic story ended up being a very happy one. If you were here last week, you know that this Advent we are focusing on the reasons for the season. Uh, as the old saying goes, Jesus is the reason for the season, and that's absolutely true. And, and this month we're digging into that a little bit more, and we're exploring some different passages in the New Testament that Explain why. Go deeper than just the, the the banner. What? Why did Jesus come to Earth? And so last week was the first Sunday of Advent. Last week we we looked at John. We looked at John chapter eighteen, and uh, that's actually where Jesus is uh, put on trial before Pontius Pilate. And he tells Pilate at kind of the culmination of that trial, he says, "I was born." Here he, here's his purpose statement. I was born, he says, to bear witness to the truth. And, and we talked about that last week, what it means to say that Jesus bears witness to the truth. And we talked about uh, he revealed reality to us, reality, all of reality, he, in, in most importantly, God himself, starting with God himself and then everything else. Jesus shows us how things really are. And so that's uh, one of the reasons he came to earth. Today, we're going to focus on another reason Jesus was born. Uh, we're going to talk about how Jesus was born to save sinners. Born to save sinners. This is, one, uh, this is probably the one a lot of us think of first. Uh, where he, he came to save sinners, just like that cargo ship saved that lost boater from the ocean. So does Jesus save lost people, lost sinners from our sin. And this is actually the, uh, a consistent teaching of the New Testament that this is the reason or one of the reasons Jesus came. Um, for example, 1 Timothy 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul goes on to say, of which I am the chief. I think that's that passage. Christ came into the world to save sinners. 1 John 3.5, Jesus appeared, or came, in order to take away sins. Mark 2.17, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came for sinners, Jesus says and that's what we see in this morning's text it's actually at the end of the passage it's in uh, verses 9 and 10 so i'm going to jump ahead to the end and then we'll work backwards Uh, in in verses uh, 9 and 10 jesus says today salvation has come to this house for uh, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost and that right there that's that's a huge part of what we're celebrating this time of year we're celebrating the fact that jesus was born to save sinners and Luke actually set us up for this. I, I just wanted to... I, I want to bring in some of those more traditional Christmas passages when I can in this series. And Luke actually set us up for this way back in chapter 1. When, uh, and, and it's the account of where... Uh, of when the angel appears to Zacchaeus, the priest, and the angel Gabriel explains to Zacchaeus, you and your wife, both of whom are too old to have a baby, God's going to do a miracle here and He's going to allow you to have a baby, and that baby is going to be the prophet, the messenger, who's going to go ahead of the Messiah. And you might remember that story. Zechariah ends up not believing it, and so God uh, makes him mute for the entire length of the pregnancy. And then when John the Baptist is born, uh, God opens Zechariah's mouth, and the first thing that comes out is a prophecy. It's this wondrous prophecy, and it's all about the salvation uh, that Jesus uh, was born to bring. And so uh, Luke 1, 67 through 80, uh, I'll just just sample here. We're not going to read the whole section. Uh, But in verse 69, it says, the Lord has raised up a horn of salvation. And when Jesus says uh, in verse 9 that I've come to bring salvation, it's the same Greek word. Uh, The Lord has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Uh, verse 71, He has given us salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us." Verses 60, uh, 76 and 77. Uh, "For you will go before the Lord." Now says Zacchaeus the priest, prophesying to his son, infant son, John. Uh, you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. And in all three of those verses I just read you, they're all the same Greek word, the same form, actually, of the, of the Greek word salvation. And Luke, in in writing his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does something very interesting. He never uses that word again until chapter 19, verse 9. And so there's this wondrous prophecy, what the Messiah has come to do. He's come to bring salvation, salvation, salvation. And then the word drops out of the text until Chapter 19, verse 9, in the story of a man named Zacchaeus. And so what that does is it invites us to connect. It, it, not only does Jesus say, I came <laughs> to seek and save the lost, it's, it, the, the wording also brings us back to the story of his death, Jesus of his birth. Uh, Jesus was born to save sinners. That's why he came. There's another lesson, though, in this passage. There's a, another whole side of this that we're going to focus on the rest of our time. And it's, it's a very important one. If we're going to talk about this, Jesus came to save sinners, that's great. But which ones? Because the, what the Bible teaches is not not all sinners are saved. Not all lost people are rescued. It's only the ones who do what Zacchaeus did. We have to do what Zacchaeus did. And that brings us to Zacchaeus the tax collector and, that, and, and his story. I'll jump back now to the beginning of the passage because I want to use the rest of the time I have to focus on how he responded to Jesus. So Jesus came to save sinners, but how do how do us sinners plug into that? How do we come to be forgiven of our sins and saved for for all eternity to live with the Lord forever? And so we're going to look at Zacchaeus as our template here and and you know, this isn't just for Zacchaeus. This is for you and me. This is for all of us. And so we're going to look at, at four responses. There are actually four responses here, four necessary responses. This isn't a pick and choose. I'll just, two of, I'll just do one or two. Uh, these are four things we have to do to, to receive this gift uh, of, of salvation. So let's, uh, let's take a look at the text uh, the story opens with a, a travel report. Uh, it, it's uh, telling us where Jesus is, and that's actually a big theme through Luke. He loves to tell us uh, geography and locations. And so we have in verse 1, uh, Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. So 19.1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. <clears throat> now Jericho, this is not your Old Testament Jericho that Joshua knocked down. It has been rebuilt by this point. And uh, the Jericho of the first century, where, when Jesus is, is ministering, Was the last major city that travelers came to on their way to Jerusalem for the normal route. If you were taking the normal route to Jerusalem from the north or from the east as well, you would you would pass through uh, Jericho, and a lot of times Jericho was the stopping place. It was kind of the. It was actually about 15 miles due east, more or less due east from Jerusalem. And that made it a good place to stop on your last day of the journey. Because remember, this is Passover. Um, I guess I haven't told you that yet. But this is Passover. This is actually the last time Jesus travels to Jerusalem. He will be crucified uh, later, basically later as he's coming into the city. Or in a week or so. And so, Jesus, and so Jesus and these other pilgrims are all traveling from different directions and Jericho's your layover. It's the last place. Uh, and the reason for this is that the, the journey from Jericho, which is very low, it's actually below sea level, the journey is pretty much all uphill from Jericho to Jerusalem. And so um, and so, it was a good place to stay. So a lot of people, when Jesus uh, stays in Zacchaeus' house later on, this was a genuine issue. You had to have some place to stay when you got to Jericho. Uh, let me tell you a little more about Jericho. Jericho was, uh, was important. It was important because of... Uh, its geographical location, not only because of the importance to pilgrims traveling Jerusalem, uh, but also because it was between territories. There was actually, uh, this is still true today, actually. The city of Jericho is the last major city between Israel and Jordan, the kingdom of Jordan. In the first century, it was different, different provinces of the Roman Empire, but it was a border town, right? Which means there was lots of trade there, lots of commerce going on in Jericho, which means Jericho was a wealthy city just the the way it worked out. Some some cities have a better location than others, and and Jericho was a wealthy city because of its location. Uh, In fact, the the data tells us it was one of the wealthier cities in this part of the world, in uh, the the province that the Romans called Palestine. And so uh, it was a wealthy city. Now, living in that wealthy city was a wealthy man, and he's the one we meet in verse 2. So verse 2 says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And we're told two things about him. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Let's talk about the tax collector part. Uh, he was. Uh, th- he, th- this means he is not a popular man, right? So tax collectors for the Romans were not popular well, with anybody probably, but but especially with the Jewish people because they were oppressed by the Romans and, and and so they really didn't like tax collectors in general. And the way the Romans did it was they always tried to find locals to take care of the taxes. And so there was especially strong resentment toward Jewish tax collectors, fellow Jews who were basically working for the Romans, collecting taxes from, the, from their own people to give to the Romans. And that would be bad enough by itself but then on top of that, the way the Roman tax system worked was the Romans basically uh, let you collect however much you thought you could get away with. And so um, there was a, there was like a quota that they had to meet with the taxes that had to be gathered. And then a, a savvy or a shrewd tax collector could tack on whatever markup he thought he could get away with without causing a revolt. And he had uh, armies to back him up in that. And so the resentment was layered here. They were traitors, and they were also cheats. That's how a lot of Jewish people looked at, um, you know, it was taxation without representation, and then your own people were collecting the taxes. That was that was the issue there. And Zacchaeus, look what we're told about him. We're told he is a chief tax collector, right? So he's not just one of the guys lower on the rungs. He's the boss. He's he's in charge of other tax collectors, and so he has a lot of authority because of that. And it also means he's wealthy. Right? So he's basically not only whatever taxes he himself is taking, but he's also taking a cut from all the other tax collectors. And so when, when we're told that he's a chief tax collector, uh, well, well, we're told he was rich. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Right? So he's, he's both of these things. So, so he's not just like a little wealthy, he's really wealthy. Right? He's, he's really rich. That's how you have to picture him. However... Now, usually you hear about that and you think, well, he must have the world, you know, the world is his oyster. Uh, However, not everything goes the way he wants it to go sometimes. and, And that's where we get verse three. Verse three says, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So Jesus comes into town uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. There's other people who are also making this journey, and they are attaching themselves to Jesus. This crowd is traveling with Jesus. Uh, on the timeline of the life of Jesus, this is just a little, it's like maybe a couple of weeks, maybe three or four weeks after uh, the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And we're told in the Gospel of John that made a big splash. People were. were glomming on to Jesus and, and flocking to Jesus at this late stage in his, in, his, in his ministry. And so there's crowds, there's crowds, and they're following Jesus, and Zacchaeus wants to know what's up. right? That's very much how this is depicted. It's not even clear if he's ever heard about Jesus. It kind of implies he hasn't. He wants to see who Jesus was, it says. And so he's curious, he wants to see what all the, what all the fuss is about, who is this person, but he can't see, he can't see over the crowds, and and it's a very practical reason why he can't see. He's shorter than most people. Uh, it says uh, Luke says uh, he's small in stature, and uh, I don't know if this helps or not to to uh, to picture it. But some scholars, a lot of scholars, think uh, the, the scholars who bothered to toy that, to tease this out think he was probably less than five feet tall, uh, because people you know people were shorter then. We know kind of from different evidence, and he was short among shorter people to begin with. And so he was, he's a very short man as, as far as that goes. And so he couldn't see. He couldn't see Jesus. And now we get to the responses. All that sets us up. So what's he going to do? He wants to see Jesus. Maybe he's heard something. Maybe he hasn't. Uh, but whatever he has so far, he wants to see Jesus. So how is he going to respond to that? Well, first, he humbles himself. And that's the first uh, necessary response we need to have. We need to humble ourselves. We see this in verse 4. So he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus, for he, Jesus, was about to pass that way. So Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus, right? This is an important detail. He really wants to see him. Uh, And and so what does he do? What's his solution? You can't see over the crowds. What are you going to do? So he goes and finds a tree. He climbs up into a sycamore tree, we're told. And I actually have a a couple of pictures of of one of these trees. This is a sycamore tree. Uh, It's a a large one, uh, and it's actually in Jericho. So that is a sycamore tree from Jericho. I have a resource that gives me lots of cool pictures from the, uh, the Holy Land. And this is a, a modern sycamore tree in Jerusalem. It's actually a, a variety of fig. It's a sycamore fig, it's called. And, uh, and so they, they're wide. They spread out when they're, they can come shorter than that. And I suspect that the one that was here was more like that, maybe not quite as big and august as this one. Uh, and there's a guy sitting in it. Right there's and that's Zacchaeus and so as this parade <laughs> informal parade comes comes by into Jericho, uh, there's a man sitting up in the branches of this tree. Now here's, uh, here's the thing to realize about this though right so we've got uh, this uh, young guy up there in the tree. Uh, Zacchaeus is not a young guy, right? He, he's not some teenager showing how how cool he is and how he can climb trees and all the rest. He is a wealthy professional. Right? He's someone to do his job well needs to preserve his dignity, right? He needs people to at least respect him if not like him. And he's probably older. Right? He's the chief tax collector for Jericho. He's not, you know, he's not some young guy just starting out in his career. He's he's probably middle-aged or maybe even a little older than that, right? I mean, this is a this is a good position, right? The chief tax collector in a wealthy city. And so you don't have some young guy going, hey, look at me, I can climb this tree. You have an older man perched in the branches of a tree like a bird, right? That's really what he's doing. This is not a good look. This is not a good look for for Zacchaeus. This is not dignified. People are not looking up and going, oh, wow, I didn't know he could climb too. People are laughing at him, and, and especially when they don't like him already to begin with. And yet he doesn't care. This is where you see his humility. Uh, he, he wants to see Jesus, and so he humbles himself, even humiliates himself in, in the eyes of some, so that there's no other reason to, that he climbs that tree other than he wants to see Jesus. There's a parable, and if you've got your Bible open, you can. Uh, it might even be on the same page. Uh, there's a parable Jesus tells in the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 18, and it's a parable about a Pharisee a religious leader, right, so a righteous person, and a tax collector, just like Zacchaeus, right, a tax collector. And in the parable, you might remember this one, if you want to just look at it real quick, it's, uh, it's back here on, uh, it's verse 9, chapter 18, verse 9. You might have to turn the page. Um, and in the parable, the Pharisee is very prideful. He basically goes to the temple and he prays and he spends his whole prayer telling God how lucky he is to have him. Boy, you sure are lucky, God, to have a guy like me. That's that's his prayer. Meanwhile, the tax collector is off in the corner, beating on his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's your tax collector. And so the Pharisee is prideful as he comes into God's presence, and the tax collector is humble as he comes into God's presence. And that is exactly what we have with Zacchaeus. In chapter 19, we get to see that parable in living color. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. And so he comes and he humbles himself. He humbles himself. In his case, specifically for him, it's the climbing up into the tree, no matter what people think about him. And this is why Jesus stops. Jesus stops. And you say, why why Zacchaeus? Why pick out Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus he stops, I think, because he's seen him humble himself, right? So verse 5, so here's what happens. We're not given the explanation there, but I think the connection is is direct. Uh, So verse 5 says, And when Jesus came to the place, the spot where the tree is, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. So he knows them, and maybe he knows him by divine knowledge, maybe he just knows him because people are pointing and saying, hey, look, it's Zacchaeus. Uh, it doesn't matter which one it is, because the important thing is that he calls him by name, singles him out, and it's not just, you know, he's not just going to call up and say something to him, he wants to stay with him. I, it's necessary for me to stay with you tonight. I'm going to stay at your house, Zacchaeus. Of all the people he might have chosen in Jericho, on his, on his last stopover, uh, on his way into Jerusalem, he chooses one of the biggest sinners in the city. He chooses the chief tax collector. And I would submit to you, it's not because he knows Zacchaeus is going to have one of the nicest houses. That's not how Jesus rolls. He picks Zacchaeus because he sees this humility and this hunger to know more about Jesus. He's looking for people who respond that way, people who humble themselves. And, and that's where it needs to start for us. Right? And that's where it starts for human beings. We, we we have to humble ourselves to be saved. Right? You you can't be saved without saying, I need you, Jesus. I need your your salvation. I'm a sinner, which is a very humbling thing to say. I'm not good enough. I'm I my my righteous works aren't good enough. Uh, I need you. That is a, a humbling thing to be able to say god the need to say to him and that's where it starts for us and that's where it keeps going too a life lived before the lord in humility is the life he he wants from us james four ten. humble yourselves before the lord and and he will lift you up and so it starts here it starts with humbling ourselves before jesus that brings us to response number two which is that we need to confess and these kind of flow right out of one right after another. I think I've preached on this in the past. Some of you might even have notes here. Uh, we need to confess. We need to confess our sins. And this is where Zacchaeus goes next verses 6, 7, and 8. So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, who's the they? It's the crowd in general. We're not invited to think it's just Pharisees or something like that. It's, it's just every, it's they. It could even be some of the disciples. Uh, it's ambiguous. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus, there's an adversative here, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it for Fold. So Zacchaeus comes down from the tree. He welcomes Jesus into his home. And like I said, I, I, Luke doesn't really emphasize this too much, but it's, a, it's probably a nice house, right? He's got the where, wherewithal. He can afford it, uh, which means it's probably a nice meal. This isn't light hors d'oeuvres. This is probably closer to a banquet. And, and so that's going on. Jesus is inside. His disciples are inside with him, and they're being entertained by this sinner, this traitorous tax collector. Meanwhile, outside, right, that's verse 7, outside the people, the crowds, are offended. They're offended by this. And uh, actually, if we're paying attention to the flow of Luke, they remind us of somebody. They remind us of the Pharisee, right? The Pharisee from that parable I mentioned a minute ago, back in in chapter 18, because they've got the same attitude. What's he doing with that sinner? We're the righteous ones. We're the pilgrims making a trip here to, to Jerusalem. What's he doing with that lousy sinner, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus is inside agreeing with them. It's really delightful in terms of the, the literary irony here. Uh, they're outside complaining that he's too big of a sinner. He's inside confessing to Jesus that he's a big sinner. That's, that's what he's doing there in verse 8. And that is how you have to read verse 8. Um, I know it says if, and in English when we hear if, we kind of think you know, that there's a possibility that it's not true, right? So if I've cheated anyone, he says... Uh, And to us, we hear that, and I don't know, it maybe reminds some of us of kind of, you know, some of those fake apologies, you know, public figures will do sometimes when they're caught doing something, you know, and they're like, if I've offended anybody with that nasty thing I said, I'm you know, I'm sorry. And it's like, they don't really care if they've offended anybody, but they just say that. Uh, It it sounds like that to us in English, especially when we're used to those kinds of apologies. But that is not what Zacchaeus is doing here. Uh, The Greek language has uh, a versatility on this point that we don't have in English, and it's that... Uh, He uses a form of grammar here, which is called a condition. So it's a condition, if is there. But this is a condition of fact. And so when he says if, uh, there's no doubt about it. What he's saying is, I did it. I've cheated people. That's a fact. There's no doubt about it. I've cheated people. And so what you have there in verse 8 isn't a man making a faux apology. What you have is a man coming clean. I did that. I I did it, Jesus. I'm convicted. This is what I did. And so he, what you see him doing in verse eight is he's taking responsibility. He's taking responsibility for the sinful things he's done. And, and that, you know, that's what we need to do. That's a big part of of when we come to to Jesus by faith. Uh, We we need to humble ourselves before him specifically by confessing our sin to him. See, we need to own it. We need to own it. We're not just here to get our our ticket punched. We're here to admit, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And and this is what I've done. This is how I've offended you. And so we come to him. We don't make excuses. We don't whitewash it. We don't shift the blame. We don't blame our parents or the boss or the spouse or the internet or whatever it is. We, we, We own it. We say, yes, Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. That's number two. The third thing, the four, third necessary response we see in this is that we then repent, right? So we, we turn from, we turn from our sin. And we see this with Zacchaeus too. He's, they're all kind of wrapped up and tangled together because they don't usually break out. They don't always break out this clearly. Uh, but, but, but he's repenting at the same time that he's confessing. And so he says, yes, I cheated people. And then he says, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to repent, right? I'm not cheating people anymore. In fact, I'm going to go back and I'm going to make restitution to the people I've cheated. And and there's actually two layers here of his repentance. The first is kind of a general repentance. And so he knows, he knows in his heart of hearts now that he's way wealthier than he should be because of how he's cheated people. And so he says, I'm giving, right off the top, half of it. Half of it, he says, "I'm I'm going to give it away. And that's a lot. When a wealthy man in a wealthy city gives half his money away, that's a lot of money. And he doesn't just give it to an art museum either. Nothing against art museums. But, but he gives it to the poor, right? He's giving it specifically to those who need it the most. And so you have his general repentance there. Uh, and then you have his specific repentance when he says, I'm going to go back to the specific people I cheated and I'm going to pay them back fourfold, right? And so I'm going to pay back four times as much as I took to the people I took it from, and and they would have kept records, right? So he would be able to do this. He'd open up the ledgers. Yep, that was an over, that was a markup I shouldn't have made. That was cruel. I shouldn't have charged that much. And he's going to go through, and he's going to go back to every single one. He says, and he's going to pay them all back four times as much as he cheated them out of. And so that's repentance. That's repentance for Zacchaeus. I, I don't think you're supposed to take that as a formula. That it's that, not formulaic. The point is that this is the principle. Right? We make restitution. We go back. We turn away from that sin. We, we make repairs when we can. We make restitution when we can. Sometimes we can't. You know, but we turn away from doing that, and we move forward now with Jesus. And so we turn away from. We turn away from the sin. That's the third, the third step there, or the third uh, response we need to have. And then that brings us to the fourth one. Uh, the fourth response is that we need to receive. We need to receive the Lord. We need to welcome Jesus into our lives, just like Zacchaeus did. You say, where does he do that? Well, he does it in verse (laughs) 6. Right there in verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him, Jesus, joyfully. So Zacchaeus does a couple things there. He obeys. He obeys Jesus. Do you see it? And Luke's underlining it for us in 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 a... text where they don't have underline in boldface you got to find other ways to do it uh, he underlines it verse 5 jesus says zacchaeus hurry and come down verse 6 says so he hurried and came down and it's the exact same wording and luke does it this way as the author he does it this way on purpose because he wants us to make the connection jesus gives him a command and he obeys it i right, just like those folks who were baptized earlier jesus gives a command be baptized so they obeyed it. Jesus gives Zacchaeus a command, and and so he obeys it. Uh, Jesus said, uh, you know, he'll say it a little later in in the narrative, he'll he'll say to his disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Zacchaeus says, sign me up, I'll I'll do what you say. So he hurried and came down. And then the other thing he does is he receives him joyfully. uh, And that's what it says, Zacchaeus received him joyfully. And I take that as a general statement. I don't think it's saying just that he received him joyfully that afternoon and the next day he was like, yeah, get out of here, Jesus. You know, hurry up, check, in's at, check out's at nine. You know, that, that's, that's not what you get here. I think we are meant to read this as a statement about the rest of his life. Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully into his life for the rest of his days. And you see that in the transformation. Right? If this was just a one-day thing, he wouldn't be saying what he says in verse 8 there. No, he, he's received Jesus joyfully. He is transformed from a stingy, traitorous, fraudulent miser into a generous, honest, joy-filled disciple of Jesus Christ. There's another story in uh, Luke. There's another story in Luke chapter 18, same chapter before. This one probably is on the same page you're looking at if you got your Bible open. And it's the story of of the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler. And you might remember that story. It's a story about a a man, a good man, a moral man, a religious man. And uh, he's interested in Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus and he asks, what must I do to be saved? And uh, Jesus Jesus perceives the man's heart and he says, well, for you, you're going to need to give away everything you have and come follow me. And you probably remember how that story goes. If not, you can read it. Uh, It's in the previous chapter. He walks away. He's so attached to his money, and it's specifically his money that's the problem. He's so attached to his money that he walks away from Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus said as he walks away? The rich man is walking away from Jesus, doesn't want anything to do with him. He says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. It takes a miracle, is really what he's saying there. It takes a miracle to save a rich man, Jesus tells his disciples. In chapter 19, we meet a miracle. That's how you got to see Zacchaeus. You meet a miracle. The camel squeezed through. The camel got through. A rich man named Zacchaeus and a tax collector to boot gave his life to Jesus. He's saved. He's saved from his sin. And we know all this because of the confirmation in 9 and 10. So back now to where we began, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, but it also could be about him. It's possible Jesus is talking to the whole group about Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus hears it. Uh, And Jesus said to him, or about him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, talking about himself, came to seek and to save the lost. This man just got saved. That's what Jesus says. Today salvation has come to this house. And, and do you notice that part about Abraham is actually significant? Uh, it, it, on one level, it does refer to the fact, that quite simply, that he's Jewish. You know, he's Jewish, he's one of the people of the promise, um, so, so it refers to his Jewishness. But I think there's a deeper sort of a statement that's being made here. Do you remember what the Bible camps on for Abraham, especially in the New Testament? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham put his faith in God, And that's how he was saved. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here about Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus does the same thing. He puts his faith in Jesus. He puts his faith in God. And he's saved. It's credited to him as righteousness. He's saved from his sin. That's why Jesus was born. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Which brings us back to where we started. Jesus was born to save sinners. But salvation, as I said, is not automatic. It's not something that's just credited to the whole human race because of what Jesus did. There's a name for that. It's called universalism, and the Bible doesn't teach it. The Bible teaches we need to do what Zacchaeus did. We need to humble ourselves. We need to confess our sin. We need to turn from our sin, and we need to receive the Lord. Do you remember the guy I, I told you about in uh, the beginning, the one who was lost at sea? All right, so his boat sinks. It's late Friday night and he spends the next day and a half clinging to this little bit of wreckage in the water. Sunday morning, he sees this freighter in the distance. Can you imagine if he tried to hide from that freighter? Right? Can you imagine? Because actually what happened is he took his shirt off and he began to wave it in the air like a flag to make sure they saw him. Can you imagine if he tried to hide? He's kind of like hunched down behind the wreckage, I don't want them to see me. I mean, that would be, that would be mad, right? You wouldn't do that. No, if you're lost like that, the, the last thing you want to do is hide. You want to call for help. You want to cry out for rescue. You want to do what Zacchaeus did. Right? You want to take whatever, you want to do whatever it takes. You want to do whatever it takes to be saved. And when it comes to this rescue, the rescue from our sin, what it takes is Jesus. It takes turning to Jesus. He's the only rescuer. He's the only one who can save us. And so many of you have done this, maybe all of you have done this, but I just want to urge you, if you haven't, turn to him. Turn to Jesus. Let him do what Zacchaeus did. Receive him into your life. Let him save you from your sin. We're going to share the Lord's Supper. I'm going to pray in just a moment, close the sermon time, and then go to the Lord's Supper. But um, I just want to, as I lead us in prayer, I'm going to give you the opportunity. If you're a younger person, maybe, or an older person, you've never asked the Lord into your life, I'm going to just give you the opportunity to do that. If you do that today, please come talk to me afterwards. I want to Give you a high five and celebrate that with you, um, and but but I, just, I it would I would be remiss if I did not give you that opportunity right now to pray and ask the Lord. So would you uh, pray with me, and then we will share the Lord's table together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for seeking us out. Uh, you came to seek and save the lost. I didn't even have time to go into the shepherd imagery of that statement, but. Uh, You you are the good shepherd who goes after the lost sheep, and that's us, every single one of us apart from you. uh, Every one of us was lost eternally in in our sin, and so we thank you so much for seeking us out, Lord. Lord, I do pray for anyone listening to these words who wants to receive you today. Uh, Help them to do what we see in Zacchaeus, to humble themselves, to confess their sin, to show them the way of repentance. Uh, and, and move them, Lord, to invite you into their lives. Would you do that even now, Lord? Would, um, lead them to yourself.